You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction In the fields of bodies burning As the war machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Poisoning Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week, Australia's sacred cow, Slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national, international events. Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. My name's Joseph Toscano. I take a responsibility for anything I say and for any electoral material which may come forth from my parted lips as the spittle hits the microphone. Now, if you wonder what Anarchy is all about, no, it's not about spittle. An anarchist society is a voluntary, non-hierarchical society which is based on the creation of political and social structures which are based on equal decision-making power and equal access to wealth. And why those two concepts? Very simple. Power and wealth determine who makes decisions and it's inequalities in power and wealth which ensure that a minority, a pampered minority, continues to dictate the type of society we live in. So if you're involved in the struggle to devolve or share power, if you're involved in the struggle to hold wealth in common and share wealth, I've got some really, really, really bad news for you. Unlike the COVID-19 vaccination where you don't grow horns and a tail, you're an anarchist. And as far as the rest of the world is concerned, you've got horns and a tail. But at least that makes you a pretty picture on the tram or the bus, doesn't it? Now, seriously, without rulers, anarchos without rulers. It's something that human beings have been striving for since time immemorial. Some have succeeded, some haven't. Unfortunately, in 2021, we've seen the concentration of power and wealth in fewer and fewer hands, and we are seeing the consequences of that concentration of power and wealth. Now... I had a nightmare last night. Well, not really. I'm pretending I had a nightmare. I don't usually have nightmares. I'm too tired to have nightmares. But I had this picture of us rewarding incompetence. There was a picture here in my mind's eye of Barnaby Joyce and a beloved Prime Minister, Mr Morrison, hand in hand. Well, sorry, they're blokes. Oh, it was COVID-19. Oh, well, they were standing by each other, okay. They were standing next to each other, glaring at each other. And I thought, here we are, as we trundle towards the next federal election, which most likely will be in early 2022, the way things are going for the current incumbent federal government. And I'm thinking to myself, we're on the road to rewarding incompetence. Incompetence. As far as the response to COVID-19 has been concerned, 
and as far as the response to the vaccination fiasco has been concerned. Total incompetence by the federal government. Let's not forget, the federal government is ultimately responsible for quarantine. Let's forget about this state, central government division of labour. But this is their responsibility. Let's not forget, they were going to have everybody vaccinated who wanted to be vaccinated by March. It's now July and I think we've got less than maybe 4% of the population had both injections. And we've got a problem as far as... uh, But don't despair. I can see Morrison and Joyce winning the next federal election because we love to reward incompetence because we're concerned about a lot of things as a people. I'm not talking about you individually, but as a people. We're concerned about the threat of the yellow hordes racing across Asia jumping across Indonesia and jumping to North Australia and taking over Australia. And what we've seen over the last two years is a concerted effort by the Morrison-led Liberal National Party to raise fear in the community, to fan xenophobia, to fan insecurity. And it's worked brilliantly. It has worked brilliantly. Then we've got the situation where people are so shit scared of COVID-19 and they're so mesmerised by all the garbage on social media regarding vaccination that we find ourselves in a situation where there is vaccine hesitancy in the population. Now I've got some bad news for Australians, some really bad news. COVID-19 is a virus. It doesn't care who you are. It doesn't care if you're young or you're old. And it's a pandemic. And why is it a pandemic? Because we've never had this little baby in our midst before. Now, human beings are great things. We can actually, you know, survive most things. We survived the bubonic plague. We survived many epidemics, polio, malaria. Obviously, millions died. But as a species, we survive. There's a lot of us around. We tend to survive. So here we have a situation where the only way to get out of this pandemic is by mass vaccination. I'm not talking about 100% vaccination. I'm talking about 80% vaccination. Now, obviously, there are people in the community, and I respect uh, their decision, don't want to be vaccinated. And if they want to catch COVID-19 and die, well, that's their problem. I don't particularly, you know, it's not my problem because we do have choices. The first thing is we don't have any supply. No supply. This is what I'm talking about, incompetence. No supply. I mean, it's like putting all your, ho- all your money on, the, on, the, on your horse coming in first. So they put all their money on the AstraZeneca um, vaccination, which obviously has a few small problems. Not large problems as uh, magnified, but some problems. I've had my first dose and I'm still alive, although I'm worried about that tail that I'm growing. But so... They didn't actually have any contracts with any other companies. I mean, these are private companies, but are there to make a buck. And you would think that you would have signed contracts with a number of companies. Then we've got the fiasco of quarantining people with a, in a pandemic in inner-city CBD hotels. And every time 
the disease breaks out, we see lockdowns in the community which cause a lot of harm, not just economically, but psychologically and socially and culturally into children's education. So we have the opportunity now, there is some vaccine available, to vaccinate people in this country. But again, we see total incompetence. How incompetent is it as far as nursing homes are concerned? As far as nursing homes are concerned, if you don't have a flu shot, you can't visit your relatives. That's the law. But you don't have to have a COVID shot to work in a nursing home, although they've changed their attitude. It's quite extraordinary. And then when you send in teams of government vaccinators into the aged care facilities, did we bother to vaccinate the workers, those who are most likely to transmit the disease and bring the disease into that aged care facility? Oh, no. No. Extraordinary. Mistake after mistake after mistake after mistake. But we are really good at rewarding incompetence. And that's my great fear. Like the great franking credit disaster three years ago where everybody thought they were going to lose their crank franking credits, including pensioners who didn't actually own any, any stocks and shares, we have the same thing. The yellow hordes and COVID-19. Extraordinary. Think about it. Think about it. Think about it. Now, this week is NAIDOC week, National Aboriginal Day of Observance Indigenous Committee. I think I got it right. NAIDOC week. And I'm very concerned. I'm very concerned about the corporatisation of NAIDOC week. So I'd like to talk about NAIDOC week, what what it was all about and what it continues to be about amongst many uh, Indigenous and non-Indigenous Australians. Now, we all know the colonisation process began in earnest on the 26th of January, 1788, Invasion Day. On the 150th anniversary of Invasion Day, in 1938, a number of Indigenous First Nations people held a conference in Sydney which protested against the colonisation process. These were Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people forming their own organisations to take on colonisation head-on. It was a protest movement. In 1988, and I'm old enough to remember 1988, thousands, if not tens of thousands of First Nations people and their supporters came to Sydney during the bicentenary celebrations to highlight that this country had a black history. Thousands. So NAIDOC Week has always been a week of protests. It's been a week of celebration of First Nation culture and struggle, but a week of protest. But this year, we are seeing a corporate takeover of NAIDOC Week. That's right, a corporate takeover. We are seeing the corporate sector 
with their uh, money, taking over and redefining what NAIDOC Week is all about. It's not just a week of celebrating survival. It's also a week of pushing forward. And we need to be very careful as a people. I'm talking about us non-First Nations people. That if we don't get sucked into the hullabaloo which corporatisation creates where it turns a festival of resistance into a monetary festival. Because NAIDOC Week is a festival of resistance. It's a festival of resistance against the colonisation process, past and present and future, And it's a festival which highlights the achievements of First Nations people in this country. So next time you see some corporation put its logo on some so-called NAIDOC Week event, think hard and fast about the old saying, he or she who pays the piper calls the tune. Let's not see NAIDOC Week redefined as some type of cultural festival. NAIDOC Week is much, much, much more than that. Significant sections of Indigenous Australians. You know, it really saddens me and pains me to see what is happening. Saddens and pains me. 1788... 1938, 1988, 2021. You're listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. My name's Joseph Toscano. Now, obviously, there are many, many, many events during NAIDOC Week which highlight that sense of survival and resistance. But there are an increasing number of events which we see which are lionised by the corporate-owned media and to a lesser degree the government guild at ABC which are all about corporate branding. It's all about using corporate logos to give superficial support to NAIDOC Week in order to enhance the reputation of corporations who have fought tooth and nail against Indigenous advancement, especially political change, which has resulted in the change of the landscape in terms of treaties or treaty. Now, this Thursday, the 8th of June, we have uh, rescheduled uh, the Marble Day celebration we normally have in Melbourne. I'd like to go through it again. It's quite interesting. 
my late wife Ellen Jose uh, was the chairperson of the Wongai Association, which in 2002, 10 years after the Mabo decision, hosted one of the biggest uh, Mabo Day celebrations seen in this country, in Melbourne of all places, where most of the major players in that little court case came to the celebrations. And since 2003, we've been holding a, uh, a very low-key uh, celebration, not demonstration, but celebration in Federation Square in Melbourne. It's always been a little bit of a tussle because you may you know, you may not realise this, that Federation Square is supposedly private land, although it's been funded by the... It's paid for by the taxpayer, over a billion dollars, the Victorian taxpayer... Legislation was passed to privatise it in order to pass the management on to a private corporation. We've had, you know, we refused to ask permission. We've never had any real issues, you know. But I was very surprised that this year I got a phone call two days ago from the Victoria Police wondering what we were doing. I'm thinking, really? A few dozen people gathering? around some flagpoles in Federation Square somehow attracts police attention. Obviously, it was all about, you know, community police and doing the right thing and we're all very nice to each other. So, why don't you join us tomorrow on the 8th of July at Federation Square in Melbourne. It's the front of Federation Square. You'll see the flagpoles with the Australian flag, the Aboriginal flag and the Torres Strait Islander flag. Join us at 12 o'clock. We'll be finished by one low-key ceremony to celebrate Marbo Day. So what is Marbo Day? And why is it still important 29 years later? And that's the key. Why are these days important? Why is NADOC and the spirit of resistance important? 1938 to 2021. Why is it important? Why is Mabo Day important? Now, obviously, we were forced to reschedule because of the tight COVID-19 restrictions when Melbourne entered its fourth lockdown. But currently, those uh, restrictions have been lifted somewhat and we will be able to gather. So what's it all about? On the 3rd of June, 1992, yes, 29 years ago, the High Court of Australia ended the legal fiction that the Australian continent and the islands surrounding this continent were owned by no one. Terra nullius. Could you imagine that? You turn up. There are millions of people on this uh, continent that have, and the islands around the continent have lived here, some for over 60,000 years, continuously, 2,000 generations. You plant a flag, you take out your guns, you bring in your disease... And you say, it's all ours. Nobody ever lived here before. And you incorporate it into your legal system. Terra nullius, the land of no one, the land owned of no one. So when Australia was first invaded and colonised on the 26th of January 1788, the British colonisers acted as if the human beings that had been on this continent for so long, tens of thousands of years, over 2,000 generations, had no legal right to the land. I mean, you've got to remember that over 60,000 years of civilization were swept away in an orgy of destruction. 
that resulted in the violent dispossession of peoples who had a long and productive association with the land and the sea surrounding the land. And for 204 years, within your living lifetime, most of the listeners to this program's living lifetime and my living lifetime, 1992, a successive Australian governments acted as if the lands they had stolen legally belonged to them while the original inhabitants who had survived the colonisation process were ignored, marginalised and legally discriminated against. I mean, the policy was wiping the brow of a dying race. And we helped that along through assimilation policies and education policies and children removal policies and incarceration policies. Now, in 1982... Three traditional owners from the island of Mur in the eastern Torres Strait, Eddie Kuiki Mabo, Father Passy and Grandfather Rice, sent in train a series of events during the Bialki Peterson era that began in the Queensland courts and ended up in the High Court of Australia that overturned the doctrine that Australia was unoccupied, terra nullius, at the time of the British invasion. The High Court of Australia on the 3rd of June 1992 ruled that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders' interests in land and water survived the assertion by force of sovereignty by the Crown. This was not a buyback scheme. It was about, I like that house. I'll go in there. It's like me walking down the street and I say, hmm, the house at number six looks very nice. I'd like to live there, but unfortunately there's some things, people living there. Let's not worry about it. I've got a gun. I'll go into the house and I'll shoot them all up and kill some. Some will run away. You know, I don't care as long as I don't come back. And then it becomes my house. Same process, okay? So who was Eddie Koiki Mabo, who was the primary litigant in the case? Very simply, he was a rebel. He was a man who'd been legally banned from the island of Mur by the, you know, the uh, authorities who controlled Mur because he was a troublemaker. And while he was working at the, uh, I think it was the University of North, North Queensland, as a gardener, he became interested in the concepts, he started talking to some of the academics and became interested in this idea that this land belonged to no one. And he did a lot of study in the library during his lunchtime and after work, although he had to look after his family of five children. And he eventually said, look, I can prove that I own this land. We've always owned this land. And they began this legal journey with pro bono assistance from a Melbourne law firm. Now, when the judgment was handed down on the 3rd of June 1992, I am sure you'll remember the kerfuffle. I remember I was told, and we were all told through the 
the uh, legacy media, especially the corporate-owned media, that before we knew it, we'd have Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people claiming our backyards. And the governments, successive governments, said it's time that we buried the Mobo judgment in bucket loads of extinguishment. So a lot of people criticised the judgment. Obviously the judgment wasn't about a treaty, it was about the recognition that people had sovereign rights, that they had not those sovereign rights had not been extinguished by force. So twenty nine years after the High Court judgment gave Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders rights to land in law, the question of sovereign sovereignty, the extent of native title, and a need for a treaty between Indigenous and non Indigenous Australians continues despite attempts by successive federal governments to bury the issue to be the most important impediment to reconciliation between Indigenous and non-Indigenous Australians in Australia in 2021. Forget about the corporatisation of NAIDOC week. Think about that history of resistance. Think about why NAIDOC week came into being in 1938. It was actually a day at that stage. Now let's not forget that Reconciliation Week, which precedes NAIDOC Week, is booked in by National Sorry Day and Mabo Day. Now since 2003, Ellen Jose organised a Mabo Day ceremony at Federation Square in the face of state opposition on many occasions to mark Mabo Day in Melbourne. Simple ceremony, nothing grand, people gather, express their thoughts, move on. Ellen died on the 2nd of June 2017 on the eve of the 25th anniversary of the Mabo High Court decision. Ellen Jose was a proud Torres Strait Islander who, who was proud of the contributions Torres Strait Islanders made in the struggle to achieve reconciliation with this country's First Nations people and the rest of the population. And she wanted a reconciliation based on justice, not charity. It was her express wish that her family and friends continue to organise events and activities to celebrate the gains which were made on the 3rd of June 1992, which continue to be made 29 years later. So come along with us, reschedule Mabo Day celebrations, Thursday the 8th of July, Federation Square, although it's covered by bunting these days because of uh, reconstruction. Have a look for the flagpoles, the three flags on the flagpoles, the Australian flag, uh, the Aboriginal flag and the Torres Strait Islander flags, all official Australian flags. Come and spend half an hour to an hour with us to mark that day. You're listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. And if you're interested in Ellen and her continuing legacy, go to the Ellen Jose Memorial Foundation Facebook page. Ellen Jose Memorial Foundation Facebook page. You're listening to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. Let's keep moving. Change the winding road ahead. It's a bit Trivial, isn't it? The winding row ahead. You'd think I could think of a, something else. Change. I mean, change is an interesting 
interesting concept. It's a very interesting concept because change is not initiated in the boardrooms of national and transnational corporations, except maybe the change to increase their profits. And change is normally not initiated by federal and state governments. Change is initiated by small bands of people who see there's an issue, who see there's a problem, who think, you know, we need transformation, whether it's reform or radical transformation. And it's interesting to see that the Communist Party of China has celebrated their 100th birthday. Now, when the Chinese Communist Party was founded in 1921, it wasn't some mass organisation. It was a, an organisation which was just a few dozen people. So it doesn't take a lot of people to be involved to initiate change, to broaden the debate. And as far as uh, change is concerned in Australia in 2021, we're still at that baby step stage of initiating debate. And the key problem in the struggle for change, whether it's reform or radical change in this country, is the fact, social media or no social media, we have limited debate. We are told we live in a free society that we have the right to free speech, free association, and this goes on and on. But change doesn't occur without debate. Now, we live in a monolithic, ideologically straight-jacketed society and almost every major institution in this country, whether it's privately owned or uh, publicly owned, is fixated to the idea that private investment for private profit, capitalism, is the only only mechanism via which society can be organised. And we see a continual barrage of propaganda about how fundamental the concept of private investment for private profit is for the health of society. It is the blood running through the organism which keeps it alive. Not the heart, but the blood itself. And when we look at a debate regarding what's happening in society, we do see change in certain areas. We see change regarding specific issues. And obviously this change has been initiated by small bands initially, and those movements have grown. So as far as, you know, women's rights are concerned, gay rights are concerned, animal rights are concerned, the environment is concerned, and the list goes on and on. But at the same time, in this society we live in, in Australia in 2021, we have a total lack of debate and discussion about the economy, 
economic change, the driving force to the type of society we create? Do we continue to be involved in in an economic system which is based on growth for growth's sake? Do we continue to leave the cultural and social and moral and ethical foundations be built on the concept of private investment for private profit? Do we continue to see the reach of globalisation spread across the world like a worldwide tsunami destroying everything in front of it? Do we continue to be wage slaves? And the list goes on and on. So when it comes to debate outside specific issues, specific campaigns, which can be, uh, as we're seeing with NAIDOC week, which can be redefined to suit a corporate agenda, we see no debate, no discussion raised, no ideas raised anywhere regarding major fundamental economic restructuring. Even the struggle about climate, the climate emergency, has now been co-opted by green capitalism, private investment for private profit, co-opted. As we've seen, NADOC week co-opted by corporations who are more interested in their brand, promoting their brand, than doing anything for First Nations people in this country. So change is difficult. It's not easy. If you think it's easy, you're crazy. Especially when you face a mountain. It does remind me of a little... Chinese, yes, I hate to use the word Chinese, a uh, little proverb, about a, a man and a woman, they walked out of their home and there was a mountain in front of them. But they wanted the view of the sea beyond the mountain. So they began digging at the base of the mountain and began to transfer the dirt somewhere else. And then their children continued the process and their grandchildren continued their process and their great-grandchildren continued the process until the hill or the mountain was removed and the family had the views of the sea. It's the same concept with change. You may think you are getting nowhere. You may think you are chipping at a rock which is immovable, insurmountable. You can't climb it. You can't walk around it. You can't drill your way through it. But it's ideas which are the dynamite which creates the pathway to a new society. So change is possible or I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be talking about public interest before corporate interests. You know, as a political group, not just a political party but a group, that is interested in putting the interests of the public before the interests of corporations. So by organising a group like public interest before corporate interest, what it does, it, it actually challenges the very concept that only corporations 
are able to resolve the issues which face us. Because ultimately, a corporation is a business. And its mantra is very simple. Private investment for private profit. If it doesn't make a profit for its shareholders or its owners, it dies. And if, if it means, as we see with Crown Casino and many other organisations in this country, if it means unethical behaviour, immoral behaviour, dishonesty, well, so be it. That's the nature of capitalism. It's about creating profits, irrespective of the human, social, environmental, you know, cultural costs. It's about putting profits before people, profits before the planet, profits before society. And unfortunately, in 2021 in Australia, it's people who have an ethical, ethical, um, you know, a background or live an ethical life who work, who are honest, who look after their neighbours, who think about wider questions. They're the ones who are marginalised, ostracised, thrown away, while those who exploit people and make their fortunes by exploiting our common resources or make their fortunes by exploiting other people's labour or exploiting the environment the heroes and heroines, the celebrities of 21st century Australia. We talk about the monetization of social media. You know, if you get enough hits, you get some money from the advertisers. And the list goes on and on. So if we want fundamental change, even mild reform, even concepts like a universal basic income, we need to be able to break through the lies and the propaganda which makes up the great bulk of the ideas and concepts that we face every day of our lives. And that's the thing. It's about breaking that mirage. As the Surrealists would say, it's about the spectacle, breaking through the spectacle. And it's people like you who have that potential. Now, I can talk here till the cows come home, and I'm sure you, you know, I'm happy for you to turn off the radio and listen to some music if you're getting bored. That's fine. Doesn't worry me. But the thing is, I can talk here till the cows come home, and it's just talk. Talk is cheap. It's talk. It's talk. That's all it is. Talk. It's just talk. But the difference about the Anarchist World this week and a lot of other radio programs or podcasts you're listening to. It's not just talk. It's about organising events. It's about challenging the status quo. It's about raising alternatives. It's about introducing something like public interest before corporate interest in order to encourage people to become involved. I mean, you've got options. If you're involved in change, you can work up the right channels. You can work outside the right channels. You can work in the tent. You can work outside the tent. But in this country, in Australia in 2021, it's very simple. Ultimate political authority rests in the hands of that small section of society that owns the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication. And they've used privatisation, globalisation, corporatisation and deregulation as their battering rams to reinforce their power. As they reinforce their power, it gives them enough 
power to dictate parliamentary policy. And that means dictate the type of laws that are passed through Parliament. And by using fear, they continue to be re-elected. Now, many radicals wash their hands of parliamentary democracy, and I've been one of them in the past. But the fact is, the sad fact is, you can march till your feet are blistered. You can be involved in direct action which can be contained. You can starve yourself to death. They don't care. You can fail to vote. They don't care. You can vote informal. They don't care. But ultimately, when it comes to the mirage of parliamentary elections, they do care. Not only do the political parties care, but those that pull the parliamentary strings care. And when you look at the crossbenchers in this country, they're basically conservative, reactionary, almost to a man and a woman. Not all of them, but a great majority. And as Australians, we tend to, you know, support the two-party system and we keep continuing hoping against hope that things will change, forgetting about the people who are pulling the parliamentary strings. So how do you break this impasse when they own the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication, when they make the laws, when they have the physical force to ensure those laws are enforced. The police, the armed forces, the institutions, the media, the corporate-owned media, and the list goes on and on. Well, you piss on their porch. And you piss on their porch to create a stench in that tent. And that stench is you, public interest before corporate interest, putting the interest of the many before the interest of the few. Because they are concerned that if people with more radical ideas and concepts are elected into federal parliament, and they're, all, they're almost just as concerned about the fact that radical ideas are being raised in the community. They're really not radical ideas. They're reformist ideas, like using the country's resources for the welfare of the people of this country, First Nations people and the rest of us. Why do we give resources to the private sector and then wait for a bit of taxation or royalties to float our way? Why do we tolerate the increasing levels of poverty in our community? It's just extraordinary. I mean, we should be the richest country, sovereign nation state on the planet. We should have been able to have reached an accommodation with this country's First Nations people decades ago. We should have been able to ensure that nearly a million children living in poverty didn't live in poverty. We should have been able to guarantee that people had a roof over their heads, that they weren't moved on constantly because the landlord, the landlady, wanted to move back into the house. No security of tenure. 25 million people living on a continent, and I say it every week, and I've been saying it for over 40 years, every week, 24... Well, 15 million, 20 million, 25 million now living on a continent. I mean, it's just extraordinary. 
extraordinary. So think of it. If you're interested in change, if you're interested in radical change, if you're interested in reform, if you understand that we need radical economic reform to ensure everybody enjoys the cake, not just a small minority, the national cake, well then I encourage you to join Public Interest Before Corporate Interest. Go to the website, pibci.net, if you are, you know, you know, if you're not computer literate, you can always leave a message on 0439 395 489, 0439 395 489, and I will um, send you out some application forms, which you can always write to us at Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052, Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. But uh, think about it. Change doesn't occur because you want it to occur. Change doesn't occur because you're disillusioned. Change doesn't occur because, you know, you think somebody else is going to do it for you. I mean, there's two things you need to do if you want to become a reformist or a radical, if you want to pursue change in our society, if you want to improve things for a significant majority of people. There's two things you've got to do. You've got to tear up your membership cards. You've got to tear up your membership cards of the somebody should do something about that tribe. You know that tribe? Every barbecue, every meeting, somebody will get up and say, somebody should do something about that. Look around. There's nobody to do anything about it. We are the people we've been waiting for. Not somebody. We. We are the ones who are the catalyst for reform and change. Secondly... You may have a ticket. You also may be a paid-up member of the Gunner tribe. You know, huge tribe in Australia. I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. I'm going to go to that and I'm going to do this. But, you know, oh, I'm too young. I'm too old. I'm too sick. I'm too poor. I've got too many responsibilities. I've got to go to work. I've got to worry, worry about my job. Blah, 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 blah. Gunner, 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 gunner. So... If you've torn up your tickets to the Gunner tribe and the somebody should do something about that tribe, why not get a new ticket? Why not get a public interest before corporate interest ticket and be part of that uh, expanding social, cultural, political movement to accelerate change in this fossilised country? Listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. Now... People ask me, where are the radicals of yesteryear? Well, I'm here. (laughs) But again, I'm a very small minority. All those radicals who've led ethical, moral, honest lives are basically now just trying to survive. Because if you act honestly and ethically and morally in our society, there's no rewards. No rewards whatsoever. You won't see your name on the uh, Invasion Day or Queen Lizzie's uh, honours list. And you won't see your bank balance grow because it's the dishonest, the unethical, the immoral that tend to survive and prosper in this country, those who exploit other people's labour, those that exploit the environment, those that exploit First Nations people, those that exploit you know, migrants, refugees, asylum seekers. They're the ones that prosper. That's the type of Australia we have. 
People come here for the dream, the dream of being able to exploit somebody else in order to, you know, maximise returns to yourself and your family. So where are the radicals of yesteryear? Well, they're sitting at home looking at their superannuation balance. That's what they're doing. They're sitting at home wondering how much money they'll have in their superannuation fund, you know, once they retire. They're sitting at home wondering how their franking credits are going. They're sitting at home wondering how their investment property and their negative gearing and their tax minimisation scheme is going. They're sitting at home wondering when to contact their financial advisor to see if they can take advantage of the current. So most of the radicals of yesteryear weren't radicals. They got incorporated into the system. They became part of the system. This is the same crowd that obtained a three-tertiary education which then turned around and passed legislation to make tertiary education expensive for uh, future generations. This is the same crowd that uses its investment ability to ensure legislation is passed that maximises their profits. So the radicals of yesteryear, they're not there. You can't rely on them. But we can rely on those Australians, those permanent residents, those citizens, those asylum seekers, those refugees who now find themselves at the bottom of the heap, who've been marginalised, ostracised. This is where change will come from. It doesn't come from us. It comes from a younger segment of the population that has a hunger for equality, that has a hunger for fairness. Think about it. Change is possible, but we need to move away from specific issues to a more general campaign. Now, a few funny things. You know, life can be funny. Well, the radicals of yesteryear is funny. I can see them with their superannuation uh, totals. If you think I've got superannuation, think again. Uh, you know, we like to think we're egalitarian. We've spoken about that. But I like to think of us, well, we like to think of ourselves as the compassionate country. Australia, the compassionate country. We're for the fair go, aren't we? Every election, somebody talks about compassion and a fair go. Well, it's interesting how this country uses practices, this country's governments, which we elect, not impose on us, we elect them, which use collective punishment as a mechanism of punishing people, collective punishment. I mean, the Bible tells you, not that I'm an expert on the Bible, that you know you don't put the sins of the father on the son. But in this country, we have collective punishment. We collectively punish First Nations people. We collectively punish people who are unemployed. We collectively punish people who, no fault of their own, find themselves in straightened circumstances. We collectively punish people on Social Security benefits that we saw through the robo-debt scheme. We don't think of people as individuals, we think of them as groups and then we use legislation in order to limit their possibility 
so Australia, compassionate country, give me a break. We haven't even been able to organise treaties or a treaty with this country's First Nations people. And when the Uluru Statement of the Heart was released in 2017, everybody in authority recoiled in horror. In horror. And last but not least, I love when they tell me that governments are now pandering to minorities. Now, I'm going to tell you something you may find hard to believe. I do agree with them. We are pandering to a minority. And it's not the minority that we're told we're pandering to. We're pandering to that small section of society that owns the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication. We're pandering to that powerful minority which determines legislative outcomes in this country. We're pandering to them by ensuring that legislation is passed through Parliament which continues to reinforce their power and their wealth. So we are pandering to minorities and we continue to pander to this minority. So when people say we're pandering to minorities, we're not pandering to the powerless. We are pandering to the powerful. So as I said before, you remember the Gunner tribe? A member of the somebody should do something about that tribe? Tear up that membership card and join public interest before corporate interests. You're never too old, you're never too young, you're never too sick to be involved in the struggle for reform and radical change. Without people like you initiating change and becoming involved, nothing will change. You can't rely on religious leaders, political leaders, business gurus, celebrities, the mass media. You can only rely on ourselves. We are the people we've been waiting for, nobody else. You've been listening to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. My name is Joseph Toscano. I take responsibility for any electoral material during this happy program. You can leave messages on 0439 You can go to the YouTube channel, Public Interest Before Corporate Interest. Go to the Facebook page, Joseph Toscano, Toscano for the Public. Whew. You can leave messages on 0439 395 489. Don't forget, Mabo Day, reschedule celebrations in Melbourne, Federation Square, Thursday the 8th of July, midday to 1pm. See you there. Look for the flagpoles, meet you down at the bottom of the flagpoles. Thank you once again for listening to the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station, courtesy of the Community Radio Network. This program has been streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access it by going to 3cr.org.au. And if all else fails, you can always write to me at Post Office Box 20 Parkville 3052. Evil minds at plot destruction. Death's construction In the fields of bodies burning As the war machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Poisoning their brainwashed minds Welcome to the Anarchist World this week broadcast 
So it's up to us, the people. We need a treaty in this country. We need the end to the war in this country. And the only way we can do that is through a peace treaty. Not the one you see in Victoria, not the one you see in Queensland, not the one you see in the Northern Territory, because they talk treaty and still lock our people up. They still kill our people. They still desecrate our land and our water. A treaty means peace. A treaty means equality. And a treaty means justice. Thank you. Subscribe to 3CR in 2021. Feed Radical Radio. Subscribe today. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 94198377. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.